Thank you, Pastor Phil, for that uh, kind introduction. I've been trying to get up here and preach for the last two years, man. I've been, I, I tried to bribe him with pecan pies and loaves of sourdough bread. He wouldn't budge. It's like one, one pie, one loaf. He wouldn't budge. Okay, two pies and two loaves. He, he, wouldn't, he wouldn't be uh, taken like that. And so finally I had to threaten to sue him in order to get to preach. I'm totally kidding about all of that, okay? I'm totally kidding, and I'm uh, all kidding aside. When my wife and son and I first joined Grace Life in the fall of 2019, right before the pandemic hit and everything was kind of shut down, I was essentially indifferent from any active involvement with any church or ministry. Um, I had, as Pastor Phil mentioned, I had graduated seminary in 2012, and that included serving as an associate pastor for six years, very grateful for the ministry opportunities, but it also included having a front row seat and a behind the curtain peek at church politics and Christians behaving badly. And once I stepped away from that in 2016, I just was very embittered and uh, a little disillusioned. And so I kind of wandered in the wilderness for a couple of years. Wouldn't want to set foot in, uh, step foot in the church again. I was not fit for polite company. I just had a serious attitude problem. But then uh, my wife, who was in Seattle because we were going to move to Seattle, came back because we are going to stay in Maryland. She found the Village Church in Baltimore because of the same uh, biblical theological seminary connection. And then we found Grace Life along the same lines. And slowly but surely, uh, I appreciate Pastor Phil's time and effort. We had been meeting at 6 a.m. on Tuesdays a couple times a month for the last couple years or year. And so I appreciate that uh, he has spent time and slowly but surely I've been uh, permitted and able to participate and uh, serve where I could. So I do truly appreciate that. And as I said, my uh, serious attitude problem when they first started this preaching pilot training series as far as you know, a lot, having lay congregation members preaching on Sunday, I had a serious, to, to make a long story short, attitude problem, but I appreciate pastors Phil and Alan and Michael, once I clearly had misinterpreted the way it was presented, once we had cleared the air that they allowed me to continue and participate in that. So I'm very grateful for their grace and consideration when I had really none of that. So I wanna uh, thank uh, the leadership and the, and the pastoral team for that. We're continuing in the sermon series of Thessalonians chapter two. Um, I'm also running slides and I'm very unaccustomed to that, so hopefully everything tracks. Uh, we're continuing, the, the sermon title is uh, The Integrity and the Gospel Message, is because Apostle Paul was writing to the church plant in, in Thessalonica to encourage and exhort them to carry on despite persecution from a majority of citizens who had rejected them. Instead of actually sharing the actual gospel message and the theology of Christ salvation through Christ who died for sins, he was very careful in this chapter to kind of explain how when he first came to them and raised them up, he came to them without ulterior motive, without hidden agenda to try to trick them or manipulate them. And so it was very important that he let them know because therefore his motives in sharing the gospel message was pure, that perhaps they could trust what the actual message was once he shared that, shared the good news. And so with the Thessalonian passage, we will also see how important it is 
In the modern church for pastors and for that matter lay leadership and Christians who are sharing the gospel, to share that with the way that God intended without the type of manipulation that we see or, or uh, any ulterior motive. Uh, it's a matter of statistical fact that people are leaving the church in the last couple decades. I know in 2010, of the 2,900 counties across the United States, 80% of them were reporting lower attendance numbers. And I can't imagine in the last 10 years, especially because of the pandemic, especially because of different politics that are going on, that people are flocking to the church. And without going into the whole host of reasons why that may be so, I think the relevant ones to today's message are that, simply, people are very skeptical and wary of organized religion. They wonder whether or not the church is just a scam, and they find Christians, quite frankly, to be a little too self-righteous and judging. So I think it's important that we kind of take a look at that. For example, I don't know if these commercials are still on, but if one was channel surfing late at night, one might come across at least a couple different religious infomercials. One commercial is for Holy water, if you call that 800 number, give them your credit card number, you can purchase a little vial of holy water. I didn't really pay attention enough to know whether or not you're supposed to drink that or rub it on your arthritic knees or sprinkle it on your paycheck so it increases tenfold. Another commercial was for a church that if you call their 800 number and you gave them your credit card number for a small donation, they would pray for you. And that also included video clip testimonies of people. It's like, I called in and then I received a check for $45,000 in the mail. It's like, really? So I'm not quite sure if God intended for holy water as a sacrament or prayer to be monetized or commercialized. By the way, after service, please don't come up to me and say, hey, by the way, do you have those numbers for the holy water or the prayer? Just, just asking for a friend. I don't have the numbers. If I had the numbers, I wouldn't give you the numbers, and I would encourage you not to call them with your credit card number. But we'll continue with the reading of the passage, um, verses 1 through 16. Uh, it's Paul talking about Paul and Timothy and Silas's missionary journey there. I had, um, I'm a little self-conscious because of my little lisp speech impediment when I have to read lengthy passages in the public, and I thought about having Pastor Phil I knew he was going to be up here. I thought about having him read this, but of course, with his hoarse and raspy throat thing, I didn't want to be responsible for him blowing out his vocal cord ACL. I didn't want that on my conscience. So we'll continue with the reading. You know, brothers, that our visit to you was not a failure. We had previously suffered and insulted in Philippi, as you know, but with the help of our God, we dared tell you his gospel in spite of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as men approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We are not trying to please men, but God who tests our hearts. You know, brother, excuse me. You know we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from men, not from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we could have been a burden to you. But we were gentle among you, like a mother caring for their, her little children. We loved you so much that we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well, because you had become so dear to us. 
Surely you remember, brothers, our toil and hardship. We work night and day in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preach the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God, who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And we also thank God continually because when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not only as, not as the word of men, but as it is actually the word of God, which is at work in you who believe. For you, brothers, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jews, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displeased God and are hostile to all men in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that we may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. Let's pray. Lord God, we just thank you for this Sabbath day that we're able to gather. We thank you, Holy Spirit, that you speak to us. We pray for meaningful understanding of you as we draw closer to you. We pray for that. We thank you in in your son Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so here we are talking about um, Apostle Paul's careful explanation reflecting how he shared the gospel message without selfish motive, not selfish ambition or hidden agenda, and could be construed as a model of Christian leadership uh, to this uh, very day. For he talks about he wasn't trying to trick them, on the contrary, he was compelled by God to share the gospel message. And what had occurred to me in those times, um, as this was Paul's second missionary journey, he writes first for the Jew sharing the gospel message, then for the Gentiles. In this second missionary journey, he's traveling through Greece. And uh, Thessalonica was a bustling port city of high culture and, and a lot of different uh, Greek philosophies going on. And there were many different ideas being float around people that wanted to hear more about Greek philosophy, which kind of explained life in the world, they would pay for that. They would go see that, some, something like a guest lecturer would nowadays or a guest speaker would be paid for his services. But Paul wanted to come to them with such pure motives so that they would understand this is not just another idea, but rather this is something that bring salvation and that it was important for him that he was very, very intentional, that he was not there to seek men, to seek the praise of men, because if he had been paid by people, then they would have therefore had an expectation as far as, well, I paid you money, and therefore it would have reduced them, his message, because then they were saying, well, as a speaker, this and that and the other thing. But when he went there with no charge, it was because he simply wanted to share the true gospel message, and I think that was very intentional. Certainly in other passages, he talks about gratefully receiving mission support from other churches, but in this particular instance, it was very important that he share that. Instead of trying to give them a philosophical idea, he wanted to share the idea that there's this eternal life and salvation through the supernatural life, death, and resurrection of the Son of God. Silver coins would simply diminish that. And so, Here we see that Apostle Paul was never 
pointing to himself as far as his efforts. He was always giving glory to God, not himself. The ministry works that came about because of his efforts were because he was compelled by God. Uh, pastors and leaders uh, most effectively uh, persuade by modeling that kind of integrity and character in the ministry, I believe. Um, back in seminary, this was 10 years ago, I remember one of the pastors or one of the professors sharing the rule of three there. Um, there's different variations of this, but uh, he shared the three G's of pastoral ministry. Don't touch the gold, don't touch the girls or the guys, don't touch the glory. The first two are somewhat evident or self-explanatory. Don't touch the gold. Pastors or church leaders are put in a positions of trust and have access to certain things, but there should never be a temptation to give in to misappropriation or misuse of church funds or church property. If people that have keys to this building coming here off hours and they're operating an illegal gambling casino operation, that would be unfortunate. If people have keys to the van and they're operating a side gig as an Uber driver or a moving company, and then if the van broke down, they would expense that through the church, that would be unfortunate. So I'm just giving some fairly mild versions of that, but I don't believe that people come into church having the idea that they're going to do that, but just over time, because of our, our sinful human nature, we start thinking about things, about way we could perhaps possibly manipulate, and it's only that we hold each other accountable that that doesn't happen. But what I was going to say is that it's important that we hold each other accountable, Pastor Phil and his group, are people that he surrounds himself that he can trust, and I think that's very important because there are going to be checks and balances and mechanisms in the church that would prevent that. So it's very important that everyone is kind of looking out for the best interests of the church. I don't think, as I was stating, people intentionally set out to do that. I'm reminded of the passage in James 1, but each one is tempted when by his own evil desire he is dragged away and enticed. That idea about being dragged away and enticed, it's like against your own will, but just whatever temptation that you couldn't help, you gave into. But we have to be wary of that. There's certainly a spiritual battle when you step forward for the sake of Christ and for the ministry. There is certainly a spiritual battle that would be raging over your life. And so it's very important that you're aware of that and you grow to be mature enough to recognize and uh, resist that. Uh, the third, don't touch the girls. Pastors or lay leaders could be in a position where there are very spiritually and emotionally vulnerable people. So that's one area where it could possibly be inappropriate relationships. The last seminary course I took was abuse in the church. Not to get too dark, but it talked about the predatory practices of certain people that come into the church and insinuate themselves, earn trust, and then they're starting to profile, and it was uh, just awful about what can be done uh, as far as humans behaving badly, but it's something that we must be worried about, and I'm not pointing any fingers about this church as far as church funds or anything, but just as a general practice, unless there is a wariness about that, then that's when the evil one kind of slips in and starts working 
his way through that. And so finally, don't touch the glory is a little bit no, more nuanced uh, and subtle as far as what that might be. Is, but when people have a ministry or their church is starting to be blessed and there may be growth or so-called success, then they start thinking, I created this. I did this. Look at what I have done. And so that could be a common tendency that we may not even be aware of that we may say for the sake of God praise be the glory but really we're just talking about ourselves and so I think that's a a common tendency that we could slip into if we're not careful about that nowadays just like there are celebrity chefs there are celebrity pastors that uh, are very prominent online Um, we also see their public fall from grace as far as what that eventually developed into. For example, worship, music worship leaders. Prior to modern contemporary worship, that started, what, in the 80s and 90s and is now very common, which is what we do. Before that, it was just hymn music accompanied by piano music or, or organ music, and it was just hymns, four chords, chorus, verse, chorus, verse, finish. So Gladys could have been the piano player for 20 years and it didn't really matter because she wasn't leading the worship team. But now we have worship leaders and so there have been other churches and I'm sure you've seen them that it becomes this kind of concert type status and they, they are kind of being exalted in a, 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 almost a rock star status and they're bowing at the end of that. You have to be just careful as far as what is that doing to that person and what are the misgivings and trepidations that could flow from that. So it's very, very important that we're modeling that type of humility and not giving in to the temptation. Every person is going to reflect their personality and temperament and character. Early on in my spiritual growth at the previous church, when I was a congregation member there, There was one person that invested a lot of time and energy and people and discipleship and missions training and just spending a lot of time, very humble person, gentle spirit. And what I noticed over time and what I still carry to this day when I see people is that he drew people closer to God as opposed to drawing people closer to himself. And there's a big difference in my opinion as far as your ministry, are you trying to just draw attention to yourself, or you're just the way that God is using to create that vertical relationship? So I think that's very important, and it really impressed upon me as far as the genuineness of his intent, because he was just trying to get us to draw closer to God. So I really appreciated that, and I've finally uh, realized that that was one of the things that I uh, really admired about him. So moving on, It's important, as I was stating, witnessing the integrity and character of God's love in the church community and to the world. People are watching within the church and outside of the church. As I stated, I don't think people are giving us the benefit of the doubt as to our genuine faith. Rather, they're looking with a skeptical eye to see where we're hypocritical or we're not really living out the true meaning of what God's love is because we've manipulated that. And so we have to try to, each in our own hearts and minds, find out what that means. And I don't necessarily think that means a theological debate, but rather each of us could witness as to the, 
way that God has worked in our hearts and minds. And so when we talk about the quote St. Francis of Assisi, who stated, preach the gospel always when necessary, use words. That has always, it's somewhat cliche apparently, it's been quoted a lot, I haven't heard that here. But I just like that idea about there are many different ways to share your faith and to reflect your faith. Not just words, but rather gestures as far as to your neighbor or friends or family, as far as how am I reflecting my love for the Lord and how am I being sent out and reflecting that in my own community. And so it doesn't necessarily and probably shouldn't be a theological debate because people are triggered by that. But rather, each of us, if we don't have theological seminary training, not everyone, not every Christian is called for that, but can you witness your love in your own way, the way that God has transformed your life in a meaningful and genuine and poignant way? And so during the pandemic, I did a lot of different cooking projects. One of them was buying raw coffee beans and roasting them at home. And I also got into that sourdough starter thing, and I was baking sourdough loaves like a mad fool. But if you'll notice, once we started uh, joining in person uh, in services here last uh, December or so, around Christmas, I was trying to show appreciation for the worship team, for the leadership team, for the pastoral leadership, by just showing a gesture of... Here is some coffee beans or a pie or something, just as a show of appreciation because I know that it's difficult to serve in week in, week out, month in, month out, year in, year out. So I do appreciate the fact that people are doing this and um, at some personal expense and cost that they're willing to do this and cheerfully. And so I do appreciate that. Certainly it is also probably an overcompensation on my lack of social skills or ability to make friends, but it's like, please like me, here's some bread. But, but it really did start out to be when we're talking about preach the gospel always when necessary use words, but there are other ways that people perceive God, not just on an intellectual level, but experiencing things, having fellowship together, or somehow meaningful as far as music worship that's where they feel most touched. So everyone is wired a little bit differently, uniquely. And so if we can find out how we can join in fellowship in, in however way uh, that can come about, I think that that's going to be key as leaders to be aware of that. Paul also talked about not being a burden to the local community that he witnessed to. Like I said, in other passages, he was so grateful because he really did need the money support that that church sent. But here, as I was stating, it was very important for him to show them, I'm not coming here for your patronage or to try to get something from you, money or a roof over my head and three squares, but rather he was simply, because the message was pure, he wanted to present that in a way that they could not uh, doubt him. And so he came there talking about we toiled night and day. We worked really hard to not be a burden on you. We subjected ourselves to that kind of manual labor. And so we know that Apostle Paul was a tent maker and worked hard to support himself. Silas and Timothy also worked to demonstrate the gospel 
without motive to the Thessalonians, who, because of the high culture, they looked down on menial labor. And because of the Roman Empire rule, they believed that type of labor should be carried out by slaves. And so they were above that. And to see this person coming, speaking of this supernatural deity, and that we have salvation through, it must have probably gave them a lot of curiosity as to he seems to be genuine. He's not asking for money or any type of patronage. Let's listen more. And so I thought that was quite uh, intentional and strategical that he did that. But I always have loved that Apostle Paul, even though he was of great training and high stature, he didn't hesitate on kind of rolling up his sleeves and just getting to work. And so that kind of blue-collar ethic uh, I really do appreciate um, I don't really talk about it too much, but I was born in Korea and adopted when I was one and a half. Costco is, I'm Polish on my father's side and Swedish on my mother's side, but I was adopted when I was one and a half, um, youngest of four children. Um, if you met my family, they're a bunch of wonderful white people, but we were not, yeah, Shout out for wonderful white people, all right. But I was raised in a small rural town. Uh, we were not dirt poor, but we, will not, we were not well off by any means. For example, my mother and father did not complete eighth or ninth grade, respectively. But for that generation, there wasn't nearly as much emphasis on education. And as long as you had a strong work ethic, you could still kind of pursue the American dream. For example, my father worked for Boeing for a period of time on the assembly line. He worked for 20 years for Weyerhaeuser, which is a timber industry in the Northwest. He worked falling trees. He was on the cutting crew for 20 years, which is extremely dangerous and difficult work. But that's how he sought to, to raise his family. Um, one of my sisters is just a couple years older than me, so we grew up, we were close because we were closer in age. And she has two children that are adult age in their 20s, and our son just graduated high school. But we, my sister and I joke as far as they, we, we raised our children, they did not have to go through some of the things that we went through. For example, when I was in third grade, she was in fifth grade, our, our parents built a house, and it was going to have a fireplace and a wood stove. It takes a lot of brick, but instead of buying those raw materials, we lived in the rural county, so we just drove along in, in the countryside looking for old abandoned lots that the only remaining structure was a chimney. And so because the motor was so old, you'd chip it with a claw hammer, you could still save the brick, but it was like all oh, slugs and bugs and dirty and nasty. And, you know, third and fifth graders was like loading these bricks up on the back of a truck, you know, half ton of bricks. So my sister and I were just like, back in the day, that's what we did. But... Um, I would also state that my brother-in-law also uh, ran his own logging company, and during college, during the summers there, I also worked for him as a choker setter working in the woods. Once the cutters come in and fall the trees, they'll move in with the hydraulic tower, and I pulled a stock photo. They set up the lines and those logs. The lines go out through a series of drums that are pulling these cable lines. The chokers are like this 30-foot line of cable with a little knob and bell quick release thing, but they'd send those chokers out. The choker setters are out in the brush scrambling around, 
wrapping the trees and then getting the heck out of there and through a series of whistle-stop communications with the tower, they're hauled up. Very, very difficult work. But I'm very proud of having kind of survived that. When I, when I first started, it was, if I wasn't miserable because it was just pouring down rain, I was miserable because it was 90 degrees on terrain incline that was so steep that you could stand up, but it was so steep you could just reach out and touch the ground. So scrambling up and down that all day was quite, a, quite an ordeal for me. My brother-in-law, a while back, came across a photo, and this is from 35 years ago, that he took of, a, of the crew. And I'm very proud of that photo and what it stands for because I think that that was an important coming of age for me, but this is the photo that he sent that I'm very um, proud of. But that was back in the day, but uh, we're standing in front of a log that was nine foot through on the butt end, and you don't find first growth uh, that big, so that's, it took a huge effort to even get that up to the landing, but uh, we're standing in front of that cut in. But um, kind of odd to see the Asian dude there among a bunch of white guys. The guys on both ends were um, Vietnam vets, and I won't go into the, the flack that I endured for being the Asian guy on that landing, but uh, it's all good, it's all good. But I'm very proud of that. Uh, it, it's a little self-indulgent for me to be showing that, so please forgive me, but I think it's relevant as far as what the sermon message is today, and I just uh, wanted to try to share that with you. And so we know that uh, Paul was a tent maker and, and didn't hesitate from kind of lowering himself and working hard. But on that second point, what I thought was quite striking was that extraordinary in the manner in which he willingly humbled himself from being one of high prominence and stature as a Pharisee to enduring great personal suffering and persecution. We know that Apostle Paul, uh, before that, as Saul, on his way to Damascus before that great terrifying day of his conversion, he was on his way to arrest and seize and have executed Christians. There's a passage in Acts chapter 7 and 8 when Stephen is being stoned and the witnesses against him are laying their clothes at the foot of a man named Saul. And then a couple of verses later, and Saul was present and approved of what was happening, which is, that's a, like a literary foreshadowing uh, uh, writing that was quite foreboding as far as what he was capable and setting out to do. But we know because of that extraordinary conversion that he humbled himself. But we know in other passages, the way he described himself in Philippians 3, he can trace his lineage back to the 12 tribes, but as he described himself, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regards to the law, a Pharisee, in regards to zeal, persecuting the church, in regards to uh, legalistic righteousness, faultless. And so we know that he came from very high stature and was willing to essentially debase himself because he was so completely and utterly transformed by the work of Christ and the Holy Spirit that was happening. So it's quite striking that he was willing to do that to great peril. We know that he uh, came close to being stoned to death, he was shipwrecked, he was arrested and imprisoned, and many, many other things that he put himself at risk of great peril. And so it was quite extraordinary that he was willing to do that. And might we not think about what we could do today as far as 
perhaps getting over ourselves. As I was stating, I was copying a serious attitude problem when they first started that preaching training series. But I realized that all we want at this church, all they want is for us to share the gospel and allow others who may be called to also do that. And so once I became a, a, a much more embracing of that, I think God was kind of telling me to tone down your jerk, jerkness as far as having an attitude problem as far as what the church was doing. But I really do appreciate and respect what Pastor Phil and his leadership team is doing as far as when I came here, having my background, I had already reconciled to myself a decade ago as far as what is my calling in ministry. I lack the vision and energy and leadership of what Pastor Phil is doing. I completely have reconciled myself to that. I do believe that I could be someone's right-hand man or lieutenant and try to get things done. I think I have that in me. But what it takes to, to lead a church is very difficult. And so I know my limitations, but I think there's still a place for me in the kingdom. And so I would encourage you all to find what that means to you. And whether or not that comes at some sacrifice, if you're praying through that, God will give you peace and you will come about uh, ways and means that you would never have contemplated when you first set out on that journey. So what I, would, I would encourage you to uh, seek that. We talk about being incarnational and sharing our faith in our sphere of family, friends, co-workers, and neighbors, where we are uniquely situated, uh, that's been preached on and discussed in your, in your community groups. And just as Paul encouraged, comforted, and urged his followers, as a mother and father would do, can, reflect, can we reflect on this and have the same type of care and, uh, for our church family and greater community. It's been discussed in your community groups, this idea of evangelism. Are we preparing ourselves to be able to share the good message and can we pray for that type of boldness that we would otherwise be uncomfortable with, but can we break through? Uh, Paul was talking in the passage about how he was persecuted in those times by the Jews and by uh, uh, the Greeks in Thessalonica. As I stated, the Greeks were also distracted by their pursuit and idolization of Greek gods and Greek mythology. And to declare Christ as savior would also be considered heretical to Caesar Augusta who was considered a god. And so there were real consequences if you stated that you would follow Christ to the expense of, of those other uh, areas. We don't have that necessarily. We would only find persecution in modern-day church probably in communist China or predominantly Muslim uh, countries. But here in the modern Western world, Christianity, we do find differences, but we don't face that type of dangerous persecution that could be found in other parts of the world or that Paul experienced then. But nonetheless, do we find ourselves openly and freely sharing the gospel? Probably not as much as God would have us do because we put our own limitations on ourselves, such as 
We can be socially inhibited and self-conscious from sharing our faith with others for fear of rejection and ridicule. And so, for example, we're socially inhibited. In my opinion, it's the rare exception where neighborhoods are, are doing events together and are a true community and they interact. Nowadays, it used to be like what apartment living was. It's like you don't know your neighbor, you don't want to know them, and you, they look a little shady anyway. But nowadays in neighborhoods, it might be a hello, how are you, but no meaningful interaction. That's just the way of society that we've become. I've heard of it as we're not a front porch society anymore, we're a back deck society. So there's probably a little bit of truth to that. How much do we know of our neighbors, but can we try to break through that intentionally, even though, oh, it makes me uncomfortable or it's awkward? I don't know that God says, oh, okay, it's okay. It makes you uncomfortable or awkward. That's okay. Don't share the gospel for people who may sorely need that. That's okay. I don't think that God's giving us that kind of break. And so as we're praying through that, type of sanctification. I'm not going to go into that. That's discussed in later chapters. But can we at least try to think about and reflect on God's love, what God has done in our lives, and how can we just not help but share that in our way, in our own way, with others? Because people are going to be needing that, and you might be the only person who is uniquely situated in your circle of family, friends, neighbors, or co-workers that could help them. Because I don't have a relationship with the people that you have a relationship. And sharing the gospel is relational. And so if we think about that, that's been preached on here, and that's been discussed in our community groups, I think we're trying to be gently nudged towards that direction to consider that. And that doesn't mean that you just Start knocking on doors and say, hey, you want to know about Jesus? Because you might get the door slammed in, you, in your face. However, if you're starting to pray about that for that type of boldness and conviction to be able to share that, I think God's going to bless that. He'll come running to you. And so that's important for us to seek, about what, seek out what God's looking uh, for us in our lives. And a part of that is living a life worthy of God, and that includes sharing the good message. Because of Christ, we have a way back to God. And so um, if you consider that, pray on that. I don't know that that's going to happen to you tomorrow, but it will happen. Because as I'm stating, we are each on our own spiritual journey according to God's perfect timing of his will and purpose in your lives. And so at least become aware of that because once you take a step in that direction, God's going to bless that. And so I would encourage you, if you're well on your way, then we can rejoice and celebrate that. But if you're still hesitant about that, well, I don't know enough about the Bible, or I don't feel I'm worthy, or I don't, if you have been transformed, you are able to share that in your own way. So I would encourage you to do that. For me personally, my spiritual growth uh, came about, I was raised in a Christian family, but as a young adult, or as a child, I just had no clue and had no relationship. But later on, starting in the aughts, once we moved here, we happened to be going to a church in D.C., and then we moved to this other church, and so uh, my spiritual growth and my kind of awakening really happened. But during that time is when I was also in my law practice as a criminal defense litigation lawyer, and for those 10 years, it's like, I'm not comfortable talking about my faith, and certainly my clients aren't hiring me for that. It would be 
unprofessional, I was thinking, and unwanted for me to be sprinkling in, oh, I love Jesus, among the legal consultations. And so I felt very odd and awkward and justified in keeping those things separate. But as I grew in my faith, and by 2010 I was already in seminary, but I was still continuing my law practice, one of those occasions is where I had to visit my client who was incarcerated in Montgomery County. And so I had a professional visit. It's the classic, uh, it's a private booth for, for attorney-client uh, uh, consultations, but it's that classic, I'm on one side of the plexiglass and the other guy's on the other side of the plexiglass and we're talking through the phones and we're talking about his case and I think I must have asked him, well, how are you doing? How are the conditions? And he was just answering. And then he also said offhandly, I've been reading the Bible a lot, which I thought that was quite stunning and not random or coincidental because I had never discussed anything about Bible or Jesus or Christianity or anything, but being presented with that and having at least a discernment and maybe a conviction, I was just like, well, you know, it's funny that you bring that up because I happen to be attending seminary and we had this discussion, a very meaningful discussion, I think about perhaps as you grow in your faith, you might choose to make other life choices that would put you down a different path that you seem to be headed down now. He was a young adult male. And so I felt really blessed to be able to just share my faith, uh, which was quite a breakthrough for me. And so we finished that up, and I'm just like, hey, do you mind if I pray for you? And so and so we're praying and stuff, and it was just like so weird and bizarre, but it's like, we're done praying. It's like I open my eyes. I have like tears streaming down my face. I look at him. He's got tears streaming down his face. And so that was a very poignant moment for me, but I hope also a blessing to him. But something that I would have completely uh, been unexpected and completely taken aback about just even years prior. But I think because it happened so organically and naturally, for me personally, that was stunning. I walked out of there and going, what the heck just happened? And so once I began to process and realize, it's like, I hope for each and every one of us that we have not only a maturity in our faith, but also a discernment and understanding that perhaps those opportunities were always there, but now your eyes are open and your ears are open and you are able to um, take, a, take advantage of the moment as God would have you do. And so that is what uh, I would like us to think about when we're um, going over these letters from Paul as far as what is he trying to do. He's not even talking about the theology of the gospel message, but rather can we as a church community encourage and support and exhort each other? And can we also, as we're being built up to be sent out, not as missionaries in a third world country, but sent out to our communities. And so I would just encourage you to continue to do that. If we could have the worship team come up, please. I'll be finishing up. So that was the, essentially the message that we're having as far as what can you be doing? I hope that you feel a little bit disturbed as far as, oh, I could be doing something, but I don't feel comfortable and it's awkward. I hope that the Holy Spirit will just simply take that type of excuse away from you and that you're going to be vulnerable and that you're going to be 
vulnerable, but also willing to share your life in ways that are authentic and genuine to what God has done for you. And so uh, I'd like to just close us in prayer. Lord God, we thank you for this time that we're able to gather. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you continue to change our hearts and minds, Lord, and we realize your will and purpose in our lives. Lord God, I pray that in our various roles as family members, as friends, as neighbors, as co-workers, as parents, we will also have taken the identity of Christ Jesus, and we will have run the race and fought the good fight to live a life worthy of you. We thank you, Lord, that we have the knowledge of Scripture and the boldness and conviction of the Holy Spirit to declare the gospel message to those you place in our care. Lord, if we do not have these things, we thank you that we can lift up prayers in the name of your Son, Jesus the Christ. And if we believe that we have received it, you will make it so. And as it is written by Apostle Paul in Philippians 2, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if we have any comfort from his love, if any fellowship with the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, I pray that we would make joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and purpose. I pray that we would do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than ourselves. I pray that each of us would look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others. May our attitude be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped, but made himself nothing. Taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. And so we thank you for these words, Lord, and we thank you for this message in Jesus' name.